Thank you so much, Elder Waon, and our musicians for leading us in our service. It's so good to see this hall fill up. Amen? Let's try it one more time. For excitement and passion, it's so good that we can gather here and see each other in this way and the hall fill up. Amen? Amen. amen. You know you can say amen even as Presbyterians because the Bible passage showed you so. Amen, amen. A double amen. And so here we are in Nehemiah. Chapters 8 and 9, the turning point, the fulcrum, the watershed of the book. And why is it the significant watershed of the book? We'll find out. And so the first thing to explore in terms of our big idea is the relationship between cause and effect. And the importance of examining cause and effect, why certain things happen in our... So how many of you are durian lovers? Hands up. It's, it's not a sin, it's not wrong. One more time, one more time. How many of you are durian lovers? They say that this year, they expect that the prices of durian will go up. Did you read that? I read that, yeah. And why? Because there's been more rain. And rain is not good for durians. Not good for durian crops. So more rain, more expensive durians. There is cost. There is effect. And that runs through life. You can't expect to eat unhealthy food, junk food, and be a healthy person for the rest of your life. You just can't do that. You can't expect not to exercise and be fit in life. There are dangers to exercise, but keeping fit is very important. And then it goes on. They changed the penal code, tightened it up here in Singapore. When they did that a few years ago, um, I brought a whole pastoral team down to listen to the presentation at uh, St. Andrew's Cathedral. And one of the things they tweaked and tightened very much was the spike in sexual offences. And what's the spike in sexual offences? What's the cause of that? The fact there's a spike. What's the cause of that? Online, upskirting, sexual grooming. And you ask, my goodness, not a week passes that we don't read of another person being caught. And so many of them are in university, which tells you education is not the panacea to sin. You could be in university, you could be at the crown of your academic life, but you could be sinning away and upskirting away. So how did it start? It could have started with a few what you thought harmless clicks or harmless swipes on your phone. And a few harmless clicks and slides on your phone, you thought it might be for a moment. It has led you to a lifetime of sexual perversion. A few clicks, a few seconds, and a lifetime of sexual addic addiction and sexual perversion. And from that point onwards, you will never relate to the opposite sex. You'll never relate normally because you're so warped. You're so caught up with all that sexual perversion online. And that's why the law of the land has no choice but to come, come down really hard on that. There is cause and there is effect. There are a lot of lonely people in the world. And lonely people in the world look for love. And oftentimes, we look for love in the wrong persons in the wrong places. And last year in Singapore alone, 380 people lost $15 million to love scammers on the internet. But that was uh, only a fraction of people who lost $70 million, Singaporeans who lost $70 million to scammers. And so whether you're looking for love in the wrong persons in the wrong places, or whether you're looking for the fast buck that overnight I'm going to make it, I'm going to retire at 40. I want to ask you, what is this preoccupation about retiring early? And after that, what are you going to do? Do nothing forever? To retire early at 40 and for the next 40 years play golf? That can't be the purpose of your life, can it? So why the great preoccupation of retiring as early as you can? By your mid-35s, you have made your $1 million and then you retire. There's something very ungospel about that. There's something very wrong about that. And so, friends, cause and effect. When we are inattentive to listen to God, when we are slow to listen to God, when we are careless to listen to God, when we drop our guard, when we drop our guard spiritually, when we drop our guard morally, when we drop our guard behind closed doors and we think that nobody is watching, there will be no repercussions in my life. No repercussions for me, no repercussions for people around me. And so I've used this many times before, I've never forgotten it. 
Years and years ago, when I worked in the newspapers as a sub, as a sub editor, and the report came out, the most fatal accidents happen between what time to what time? The most fatal car accidents happen during rush hours, between 8 to 9 in the morning and between 5 to 7 in the evening in Singapore. No, wrong. The most fatal traffic accidents, car accidents, happen between midnight and 6 a.m. And you ask yourself, why? Because if you are a driver, you think there are very few people. Indeed, there is no one on the roads. That's when you're most tempted to beat the orange light, if not the red light. That's when the fatal accidents happen. So when are you most likely to drop your guard? That is the cause. What is the effect? Is that you will compromise your relationship with God and it will compromise your relationship with loving your neighbour. And so for Israel, they found themselves in exile and now they find themselves returning from exile. They thought they could break the Sabbath without repercussions. They thought they could withhold giving to the priests and the temple without being noticed. They thought they, as richer Jews who got richer and richer through boom times and through bus times, and when bus times, the poorer Jews got poorer, and that's happened with the pandemic. The rich got richer quick, quicker. The poor around the world have gotten poorer faster. All around the world, there are more people living behind under the poverty line around the world. And you, you thought, as a Jewish person, you could profit from your poorer fellow Jews. They are down and you kick them. And Nehemiah highlights that in chapter 5, that you shouldn't be charging interest. And he himself was culpable of this sin against his fellow countrymen. The law stipulated some things, but now it's not the time to be doing it. You could be generous to self and stingy to others without any ill effects, or so they thought. They could marry without any spiritual and moral compromise of the worship of God and their own lives. Slowly but surely, Israel as God's people compromise on hearing God speak His word for them to accomplish His will to worship Him as the distinctive covenantal people of God. It comes slowly but surely. The compromise never comes overnight. Slowly but surely, you give a little less to the offering. Slowly but surely, you break the Sabbath. You do not even have the Sabbath. Slowly but surely, you profit while people, you prosper while people are getting poorer and poorer. Slowly but surely, you are more generous and generous to itself and stingy towards others. And that happened because they slowly shut God up by not reading His Word. And when you shut the Bible, you're going to shut God out of your life. Please notice that spiritual truth. When you live your Bible with, with when you live your life with the Bible shut, you're gonna shut God out of your life, and soon you'll find yourself in Satan's territory. And so the story thus far, Nehemiah thus far. I think the first slide comes on. We have it. Sorry, I didn't bring my clicker. And so the story thus far in chapter one, Nehemiah weeps for God's city when he hears the reports that after the return of the first batches, that the wall is still not rebuilt. In chapter 2, in hearing this, he weeps for the disgrace of God's city, the disgrace of God's temple. He pleads to the king to return and rebuild. He makes a very risky request. He's cupbearer to the king. If he shows an angry face, the king could misread him and say, he's plotting against me. He should be tasting any assassination plot by poisoning, but his face looks like he could be poisoning me. He made a request, though his face was sad, and the king granted him the request. You know why? Because whatever you do not know about Nehemiah, you are introduced to him as a man of prayer. He confesses his personal sin. He confesses the sin of his nation. He prays an arrow prayer, and then he answers the king. Let's give him a big hand. Thank you so much for this, right? Uh, where was I? <laughs> and then in chapter 3, Nehemiah rallies the nation, and it's not the whole nation that's returned. 
is the remnant, a very small number returned. And you know why? A good number of them had gone into exile. The initial period of exile was terrifying. They are depopulated from Jerusalem. They are deported from the nation of God. But they settle in, they are prospering, and they don't ever want to come back anymore. That may happen to us. Just think pandemic. When it struck, all of a sudden, overnight, you had to work from home. You have to study from home, right? All the things that you thought you would never be able to do. Now to get you back to work, oh, you're sin. You're so settled in your exilic experience. You're so settled in just tuning in to worship, hybrid, online, zooming away. But God didn't redeem you to worship in splendid isolation, in silo and in solo. God redeems His people to worship Him collectively as one. There is beauty in worshipping God as one, as we're going to find. And so He rallies the remnant who have come back. In chapter 4, He faces external opposition, especially in Sanbalat of Samaria, and Tobiah, the, Am the Ammonite. And then in chapter 5, He faces internal division that the rich were abusing the poor and things are going wrong. There are schisms and there are divided loyalties to those who are loyal to Tobiah and those who are choosing to be loyal to Nehemiah as a man of God. And then he faces personal attack, but he finishes the wall in record time. 52 days. So I was preaching at Adam last week. 52 days to finish this wall, right? For some of us, 52 days the contractor hasn't even started on your renovations, especially to the pandemic. This is, this is miraculous. And Nehemiah would say again and again, with the help of God, the good hand of God was upon us. The good hand of God was upon us. If God was not doing this in him and through him, it never would have been accomplished. And now in chapter 8 and 9, the crowning chapters from this point onwards, 8, 9, 10, right? how to bring God back into the life of the people and how to pe revive the people in true worship of this God. The building of the hardware walls was only the means to the end. The means to the end was the people and he lists all of them for continuity between all who went into exile are coming back from the exile. For God had promised that his people, each one would have a stick in the promised land through ups and downs, and God built into their life, if you ever fell into poverty and to hardship, there will always be the Jubilee year, in which all things are wiped clean and every Israelite has an equal stake in the Promised Land. They return. They return. But more importantly, they are to be revived in their worship of God. So a simple outline of this portion may run along these lines. Let me get this right. Ezra reads the God's law, and then in verses 9 to 12, the people respond. And we're going to see two sides to their response. And then in 8, 13 to 18, they respond, but there is a ritual. And rituals are important as part of collective remembrance. Rituals are important as part of your personal commitment. And so the importance of rituals for Israel's life and the importance of rituals for us as God's people but ultimately, the title of the sermon today is the joy, the honour, the privilege, the blessedness of listening to God speak His Word. And God spoke His Word to His people through the law. And so, what is it we need to understand? And all the people gathered as one man. That's a strange phrase, right? All the people who returned gathered as one man. Could this be a combination of those who came back earlier with Ezra? And then the combination of those who came back later with Nehemiah, in all likelihood, which tells you that God is most glorified when the 12 tribes of Israel worship as one. God is glorified in love expressed in oneness and unity. You're going to find that full-blown in the New Testament when Jesus comes. And so they gather as one man in the square called the Watergate. And they told Ezra the scribe, and Ezra is described in... Ezra the person is described in the book of Ezra, the book before this, as one who was an, like an expert 
a scribe of the book of the law. Because don't forget they have been in exile from 587. And lots and lots of generations of Israelites after that had less and less knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. Let me just say that, and then you ponder that. Now, as Singaporean Christians and churches, do you have more and more knowledge, Bible literacy of the Bible? Tell me. It was uh, Pastor John Stott, and John Stott was the pastor of All Souls Church for many years and influenced many people, wrote many books. He said, after World War II, Wherever he went, whichever university he went to, whichever high school he went to, to preach the gospel, post-World War II, 1940s, 1950s, 1960s, about 1960s, 70s, he could assume that the average British person would know their Bibles, would have some Christian heritage, a Judeo-Christian heritage. But by the time of the 1980s and 1990s, whenever he preached on any campuses, the Oxfords and the Cambridges, he would have to produce, he had to presume that the British and the English folk didn't know their Bibles because they had let go of their Judeo-Christian ethic. The exilic generation, more and more of them, knew less and less of the book of the law. And scholars are divided. Is the book of the law the, the Pentateuch, the first five books, or is the book of the law specifically Deuteronomy? Because in Deuteronomy itself, it is called the book of the law. Or is he referring to the book of the law that has the commandments specifically to the festival of the booths? I take the meaning to be most likely the Pentateuch. But whatever the meaning of it is, the important thing is what I bold for you. Whichever portion, the larger portion, the middle portion or the smaller portion of the understanding of the book of the law is the law that the Lord had commanded Israel. Whether big or small portion, from Pentateuch to Deuteronomy, it is something God commanded. If it's something God commanded of His people, it's not an option. I want to ask you, which part of God's Word is optional for you? It was Mark Twain who said, It's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that troubles me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that trouble me. When God tells you not to last, that's as clear as day. You don't have to ask around, hey, what does he mean by this? Huh? When God tells you do not be angry, you don't have to walk around saying, I don't understand this. It's the parts of the Bible you do understand and are not willing to obey. That is the problem. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly. He brought it not just to the men, which was the custom, he brought it also to women. He brought it not just to the adults, he brought it also to the children, as we'll say later. And the emphasis is on those who could understand. And this word, could understand, appears five times in this, in this chapter. And so the comprehensibility of this word, the, the Bible literacy of this is important. I just want you to, to know the difference. It says here, all who could understand the word on the first day of the seven month. And we're going to explore what this means. Could understand or would understand? You're willing to understand this and willing to obey this? Or you really, this is a blur to you, you just don't know what it means. If you don't know what it means, it will go on to say, the Levites would help Ezra to keep expounding the law explaining the law and applying it to the post-exile generation who were a little bit more shallow, a little bit more shallow. The pre-exile generation, they had that, but they listened nominally and they listened superficially to the Word of God. And that's very important for us to realise. And then he goes on. And he read it, read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning till midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, most likely children. And the years of all the people were, can you just read that for me? The years of all the people were 
So I've just gone on for about 15 minutes in this sermon. Are you still listening? You better. If there is a Bible passage, say, my goodness, so long, 15 minutes. I want you to take note from early morning to midday. I want to see something on the side here. There is a very bad lie going around the world in our 21st century world that our young folks cannot focus. They cannot understand. They, they cannot um, give concentration more than half an hour to the Word of God. But they can game for four hours. They can give full focus to something that they are really interested in, which includes sexual grooming and predating. They can give their whole time to it. Who is sending that lie around to Christian circles? That our youth have no ability to concentrate. It's as if through the ages, God shrunk our brains. No. Satan distracted our brains. So I'll never buy the thing that you've got to feed people a more bite-size, bite-size, bite-size. The more bite-size, they started a movement called the, what is it, the Seeker-Friendly Church. Bill Hybels and all, he came years ago. And we listened to him. All services are only an hour, right? From start to finish. The sermon cannot be more than 20, 25 minutes. After 20 years of that seeker service movement in America, they found they produced a whole generation 20 years later of very shallow discipleship. So be very careful. From your personal devotions at home, don't ever get used to the idea that your children have no ability to concentrate when it comes to the Word of God. That God's Word is in, unintelligible to them and inapplicable to them. That's a lie of the devil, that's a lie of the world, that's the lie of your own heart. But when it comes to academic concentration, when it comes to entertainment concentration, you can vegetate, you can binge, and you can give total focus. You know episode one of K-drama and episode two, he appeared. Episode three, the old girlfriend appeared. Episode four, the old girlfriend died. Episode five, he never, for, he never forgot the old girlfriend. You have total focus. Who says you can't focus on this? You can. And I've been to so many counselling situations where marriages and families are falling apart. I'll never forget the words of some of them. Whenever you come and speak the word of God to us, there is so much hope. Just keep on speaking, Pastor Chris. And I, I didn't want to say, uh, it's been two hours I've been here. Uh, a bit tired. <laughs> counseling is a bit tired. <laughs> Preaching is tiring, but counseling is, you've got to keep listening. You've got to keep listening. What's the problem? Which word of God? God, give me the right word to give to them. Give me the right word to give to them. And so the people were attentive to the book of the law. This is not superficial listening. This is not nominal listening. This is listen because God is speaking to me. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for, the pur for that purpose. Which tells you this whole reading of the law wasn't, eh, Ezra is come. Eh, Ezra, just read the law. There was intentionality. They built the platform. Ezra is going to come. There was a program. There was an order of worship for that day. And he's going to stand on the platform and read the law. And then the 13 other Levites are going to go down and expound it to the crowd that is gathered, to the audience that is gathered, to God's people who are gathered around the law, the book of the law. And that's important. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. He stood on the platform. And as he opened it to all the open it, and Elder Warren got us to do the right thing, stand up to hear the word of God. Stand up when you hear the word of God. And so, you know how I prepare for my sermons? I prepare for my sermons if I can. I read every passage three times. Is that like a superstition or a talisman, a Christian talisman? No. I read, I stand so that I'll pay attention to God's Word and I read it aloud. I do not know how you read God's Word, but I don't recommend that your main form of reading is horizontal. It will be a very quiet time. Right? Lord, please pray for world peace. Pray for Putin to, and his regime to crumble and Ukrainians to have peace and pray for peace in Singapore. Amen. That's the trivialising of God. For everything else, you can sit up. For everything else, you can stand up. But for God and His Word, 
You read it horizontal, lying down in an idle position. You know how tired I am, O oh God. Bless the world. Bless me. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. The focus is firstly vertical, in worship of the great God. And all the people answered, say again, Amen, Amen. And what's this symbol of lifting up their hands? Maybe in thanksgiving to God? Maybe in longing for God? And then as they lift up, the next thing, they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. A symbol of being prostrate and paying homage. The reverencing of God. When was the last time we did this? Because the New Testament doesn't command us. But ever so often, you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, why can't I get into these physical postures to represent my spiritual posture of the heart? If I'm really longing for God, if I'm really thankful to God, why am I so afraid to lift up my hands and praise Him? If I'm really worshipful of God and reverent to Him, why can't I get on my knees and worship Him? Who cares what people think about me? It's between me and my God. Amen? Mm -hmm. And they did this with each other. And also, I, I want to say thanks to you for reading all those names rightly. There was an effort, right? And then the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so the people understood the reading. So here was Ezra singularly doing the reading, and then the Levites going down to smaller groups to do this, to read, to explain, to expound, to see what it means for their life. And so very important, this was not casual, superficial reading. This was not casual, superficial hearing. This was intentional. This was serious. The building on the platform, the gathering of the Levites, the naming of them. And if you do get to heaven, say, hey, you were with, you were with Ezra. And you read them into repentance. You read them into the worship of God. You read the, word of the, the book of the law for us. And this is listening from the heart, for implications for the heart. And that's so important, right? So you see signs all around us. How many of you are sticklers for signs? No smoking. I remember my son asking me, when he was young, again and again, right? Dad, the sign says no smoking, right? But how come they are smoking? What's the answer? We're all sinners. That's the answer. Is it because you can't read? There, if you can't read, there's a sign there. Cigarette, cancel. No smoking. Why are you smoking? That's us. The more no's there are, the more you want to break those laws. There's something within you that is a lawbreaker, a tendency. Parents say, don't touch that. You must touch that. And so here is listening from the heart. And Nehemiah, who was governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the Lord. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink sweet wine, send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our God, to our Lord, and do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And what on earth is happening here? What is happening here? Firstly, why the mourning and the weeping? Could it be sorrow for sinning against God? And there has to be sorrow for failing God. When was the last time you felt penitent for failing God? For sinning against God? For sinning against a fellow brother or sister in Christ? Then there's joy for returning to God. Then there is generosity for the have-nots. And that's vitally important in the context of chapter 5. Remember, in rewinding the history, that the rich Jews got richer and were desensitized to the poor Jews who were down and they were kicking them, as it were, charging interest and not, not interested in them and their welfare. And now as they are given a second chance after the exile, a second chance for reconciliation, 
a second chance as the remnant to revive. Now is the time for joy, the joy of being forgiven, the joy of returning to God, the joy of revival of God. And so, what do we have here? Sorrow for sinning against God, joy for returning to God, and generosity for the have-nots. And could this be but the expression of this is what it means to, for Israel to love God with all her heart, mind and soul. And this is what it means to love your neighbour as yourself. And so little of that was evident pre-exile. And now post-exile, they were fast forgetting it in their own lives. And so the word goes out, please have this big-heartedness to think of those who do not have the fat and the wine and the sweets to celebrate what it means to be in renewal, in covenant, covenant renewal with God, that we're going to find out more from chapter 10 onwards. On the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses, of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Can you see this? Right. So Ezra is the one who really knows the law, and then the Levites and the priests come and study this. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should. They found a portion that the post-exilic generation had forgotten. And what was it that they had forgotten? They had forgotten this festival, the festival of the booths. They should dwell in booths during the feast of the seven months. On the 15th day, this started on the 1st. And now there's a festival on the 15th day. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills, bring branches of olive and wild olive and myrtle and palm and other leafy trees to make booths as it's written. And what's this about? For them to remember as they journeyed towards the promised land, they always live in temporary shelters. Temporary shelter, temporary shelter. This is not you uh, booking a campsite at East Coast Park. That is your... Your permanent shelter is at home. HDB, BTO, which is now $1.4 million, right? The resale, right? That's your permanent dwelling. They had no permanent dwellings as they exited as slaves from Egypt en route to the Promised Land, always fighting, always fighting people and dispossessing them before they could possess the land. And so it was a reminder to them that God was protector, provider, as much as He was their Redeemer. He redeemed them from slavery to idolatry to the freedom of worship. But en route, but en route, they had to remember it is all God's provision as He redeemed them for the worship of God. They are never for, to forget this. And so you can Google and find paintings of this, drawings of this. Of course, you won't have a photograph of this from thousands of years ago. But modern day versions may make it look like that. You're supposed to build this booth on your rooftops. They had flat rooftops. Build it in your courtyards. Build it in the, in, in the temple area. Build it. And it might look slightly messy. For all that time that they celebrate this, and the, the whole place looks slightly messy. But this is to remind them. So this is the importance of festivals, and festivals are rituals. Rituals celebrate spiritual milestones. The spiritual milestones that you must never forget. God redeemed us, so they celebrate the festival of all festivals, the Passover. God journeyed with us, and then we had temporary shelters provided by God while we journeyed. This is the festival of the booths. And so there must be built into our life rituals to remember God who loves us and loves us enough to redeem us and loves us enough to keep us in His redemption. So the main themes of Nehemiah is returned from exile, rebuild the wall, but the returning and rebuilding are means to the end. It's more so for them to revive in their true worship of God. And the true worship of God will come from the hearing of the book of the law. The true worship of God will come from the hearing of God speaking to their hearts. Whatever you do not know of God's church in the Old Testament, and God's church in the New Testament, we are, can you fill in the blanks? Can we, let me use a technical word, 
can you predicate this? We are. We are what kind of people? We are a people of dot 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 from Nehemiah 8. We are people of dot 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 dot. We are people of word. God's word. Specifically God's word. And apart from the word of God, you will have no worship of God. Because the word of God tells you this is how the holy God is to be approached. This is the, how the holy God is to be worshipped. And God is to be approached and worshipped on His terms, not on your terms. On His objective terms, He will build into their life a sacramental system of priests, of sacrifices in the temple before they can approach Him. And all that is for them to maintain their relationship. So it's God's Word leads us to a right worship. And the right worship of God will always have two components. There is always sorrow for sin, confession of sin, penitence and repentance from sin that will be in their sacramental priesthood system. And there will be the joy of being forgiven by God, washed clean by God, reconciled, maintained in that relationship because God is the God of mercy. God is the God of grace. God is the God of covenant love. Herein lies the joy of hearing God's word. And you see how the chapter ends. Allow me to read the last verse of Nehemiah chapter 8. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was solemn assembly according to the rule. And so, at the end of verse uh, 17, and there was very great rejoicing. There is joy in being the people of God. Try again. There is joy in being the people of God. There is joy in hearing the Word of God. So have you found joy in hearing the Word of God this morning? Sometimes the Word of God rebukes you. Sometimes it corrects you. Sometimes it disciplines you. Sometimes, and lots of times, it will end up with assuring you that this God is slow to anger and quick to forgive. Amen, amen, amen. Slow to anger and quick to forgive. And so what does that mean for us? By the time we come to the New Testament, there are many passages, and I just shared this with the, our church prayer fellowship last night. You read Ephesians 5, and you read Ephesians 5, the verses before, they say, wake up, O sleeper, right? And why? Because you're listening to the wrong stuff. And some of you profess to be Christians, but in chapter 4, it says, you no longer must live as Gentiles do, 4.17, and you must not take sin lightly anymore. There are some among you who say that sexual sin is nothing. Sexual immorality is nothing? And Paul would say in that passage, have nothing to do with them. You've got to listen to this. And verse chapter 5, verse 15, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And this is Paul, in all likelihood, taking from the Old Testament. What is wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. By the time he writes this, it is after Jesus died and rose and sits at God's right hand. The fear of the Lord Jesus is the beginning of wisdom. So make the best use of time because the days are evil. Whatever you do not know about yourself, all 500 of, or more of us, what are you without God? What are you, who are you before you came to know God? If you don't know God and you live with your Bible shut, if you don't know God and you shut out Jesus from your life, you are a number one time waster. If you are a time waster, you are a life squanderer. You're also alive because your life is made up of time. Is there any, anything else to your life? You have time. That's all you have. You have time. That's all you have. And what are you doing with your time? I give all 500 of us 10 minutes. What would you do with 10 minutes? I gave all of you four hours free. What would you do with four hours? If you don't know what to do with 10 minutes of your time on your phone, please don't tell God you know what to do with your life of 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. You just don't know how to handle 10 minutes or one hour. You will squander it. You will binge it. You will vegetate. You will spend time worrying to death. 
You spend time judging other people. You spend time being unforgiving. You spend time being rich to self and poor to others. Without God, you are a time waster. If you are a time waster, you are a life squanderer. But now that you've come to know Christ in hearing the gospel word in Jesus, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is the days are evil between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And do not get drunk with wine. Don't try to escape the harshness of life by intoxication. Don't try to indulge in life by drinking. That is debauchery, looseness of life, where you be careless with life. But be filled. If you are a Jesus person, you are a spirit person. If you are a spirit person, you are a Jesus follower. Then what does it mean to be filled with the spirit? You are full. The cup is full and you are overflowing. The cup is full and overflowing and four expressions that you are a spirit person, that you are a Jesus follower. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. That's one expression. That if you're a spirit person, it will lead you to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Secondly, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, from your heart. So when do you sing majula? When you've got no choice, right? have to sing. It's not with your heart. It's the school forcing you to sing. My siblings who live under Japanese occupation, World War II, 1942 to 1945, my eldest siblings can still remember that we were forced to learn kakiku keko, mami mu memo. That's Japanese, by the way, right? And they were forced to sing the Japanese anthem. Have you ever been forced to sing something not from the heart? If you belong to, if you are a child of God by believing in Jesus, the Spirit works in you. You will sing to the Lord from the heart. Giving thanks, always the third expression, for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fourth expression of being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen? So I want to ask you, are you a Jesus believer? Are you a Jesus follower? That's our theme for the year. Come follow Jesus. Are you a Spirit-filled person? And it's important how we listen to the Word of God. Whether you are a user of time or abuser of time, whether you are filled with the Spirit and expressing this with psalms, hymns and spiritual songs to one another. So my mind went to, as I was preparing this, to this man that we came to know is, is from Sydney, a businessman. And he, his business was collecting antiques, selling antiques for a very huge sum of money. And then he heard the gospel. He got richer and richer financially. He got poorer and poorer in spirit. And he was totally lost. Until somebody invited him to a Christian gathering, he heard the gospel and gave his life to Christ. As he gave his life to Christ, he realized that the very business he was in, right, collecting antiques, most of, most of what he collected was actually, was actually idols and idolatry. You know what he did? He hired a boat with all his antiques, went out to the harbour and threw it in the ocean. Caused him a bomb. Caused him a bomb. It was his way of saying, I've given up. That was my past life. My new life is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He heard the word of God. He counted the cost. And the word of God made a change. And in meeting him and knowing him, well, he's exactly a good friend of Reverend John Ting, Every time he comes to Singapore, he will come and encourage us. Whoever is preaching, is Pastor Roger preaching, Pastor Chris preaching, he will always encourage us. And if he can, he will always buy us a meal. That's why we always pray for him to come. <laughs> His big-heartedness. Now that he's come to know the Lord Jesus, money is to be used not for self. Money is to be used for the kingdom of God. Is there any way, Chris, I can give? And I always tell people, no, no, we don't need the money. No, no. That was before the building project. No, no, now we need your money. Now we need your money. Uh, he hasn't come yet from Sydney. And then think of my third sister. Of all the 12 children, I do not know why my father sent her to a Chinese school. All the rest of us were all sent to English schools. So she always felt like the odd ball out. And she was very good in the Mandarin. Right? And um, sister fell into hard times. Her husband died. And we shared the gospel. She became a Christian. And I couldn't share a lot with her because 
English educated, Chinese educated. But one day she came down and uh, my mum then was going through checkups for an operation um, just for her eyesight. And as we were waiting for her, for mum to be checked up, my sister said, they said, hey, they call me Han, as in honey boy, okay, honey boy. Sorry, don't, please don't remember that. <laughs> I'm the youngest of 12, so honey boy. So Han, uh, I, read, uh, I read the Bible, I read the Bible. No? So I said, what do you read? I said, uh, John's Gospel. John's Gospel. I said, John's Gospel, quite long. I said, yeah, 21 chapters. She, she could tell me, 21 chapters. Do you know how many chapters? Now you know. Matthew, how many chapters? Just checking. Right? Mark, how many chapters? Just tell me. We just did Mark, no, please tell me. Luke, how many chapters? So my young, my sister, young in the faith, could tell me, 20, she read all 21 chapters. And in that time, we were waiting for mum to be examined and to be treated. She rehearsed for me all 21 chapters, not word for word. Chapter 1 is about this. Chapter 2 is about this. Chapter 3 is about this. By the time I finished, by the time she finished, my goodness, she delighted in God's Word. She took everything that she read seriously. The things she didn't understand, she asked me, and some I bluffed my way through. And I'm a pastor for 20 over years. Of course, I didn't bluff my way through. I tried to explain as best as I could. But she was delighting God's Word. There is joy in hearing God's Word. Amen? And this week, beginning from Thursday to Friday, we have the Gettys come to us. We are privileged and honoured to have them. We're not receiving celebrities. There are no celebrities. They are brothers and sisters in Christ. They saw a gap in Christendom. And the gap in Christendom was this that fewer and fewer Christians around the world have a heritage of Christian songs. Christian songs that sing scripture, that sing the gospel, that sing about Jesus. If you met a Christian in the 1950s and 60s, they might know a lot of hymns. From Amazing Grace, the most well-known, to Be Thou My Vision. Do you know any of those? Be Thou My Vision. And it just goes on. And can it be that I should gain all those wondrous hymns people do not know anymore. The rich theology of them is forgotten. You know what has steadied the church? It is Ephesians 5, 17 to 19. To sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. When governments in over 2,000 years persecuted Christians, imprisoned Christians, burned their Bibles as they were in prison, what kept them going? They memorized scripture, they memorized songs. And that's why Charles Wesley, the Wesleyan brothers, have left us a heritage of hymns in a Methodist tradition. You know that? We now have the Gettys, raised by God, so that in your personal life and your family life, you would, have, you would sing the Word of God against persecution, against temptation, against seduction, against division. You will sing your, the gospel to your sanctification to God's glory. So why haven't you signed up for the seminars? Is $15 too much? $15 is two hamburgers. You go out for an outing, any family outing, very hard for a family of four not to spend $80 to $100. Right? It's not that we need the money because we've organised things for free. When we organise things for free, right? when we organise things for free, the attrition rate, a little bit of raindrop, oh, don't come now. On paper, it's full. All 700 seats are taken. But finally, when the Equip Conference is launched, 200 people are missing. So we said, get Singaporeans to put some money down, then they will come. So there are still spaces, and they've come all the way to teach you 12 hymns that every believer must know. And my mind goes back to what Mona shared with me. She was executive director of Scripture Union. Scripture Union goes to school, reach out. It's like what we do here, chaplaincy work, boys brigade, girls brigade, you give the talk. The kids are listening, not listening, most times not listening. And this one wasn't listening, this boy, many years ago. He was delinquent, got into trouble, and then went into detention. You know what was his testimony as he was in detention? As I was scared out of my life, as I was in detention. The only thing I could remember, I couldn't remember any of the talks, I couldn't remember any of the sermons, but I remember the songs they taught me in Scripture Union. And the moment he came up, he came to thank Mona and the team. Thank you for coming week after week, though we were delinquent and didn't want to listen, made paper aeroplanes, rolled our eyeballs. 
when we preach the, the gospel, uh, people do roll their eyeballs. We get used to it. We wear sunshades. Whatever is your response, we just carry on preaching. And that's important, friends. And so here we have, blessed by God, return, rebuild, revive. And the need for us to be fellow worshippers, to hear the word of God over the next four events, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and then Sunday in our services. Please take note. I want to see something in ending. By God's grace, we'll come back, right? We've got to celebrate the communion very soon. Because ACM begins at 11 o'clock at Adam. It will end. I just want to say something in terms of big encouragement but light rebuke. You said that after two years of pandemic, if God allows us to come back, I'll never be late for service again. Uh, sorry, you didn't laugh, huh? Let me try that one more time. You said if we ever get back to church, I'll never be late again. I've stood both at the services at Adam and Bishan. I've gone to preach at other churches. We are still late. Are you going to repent of that lateness? How come you're always on time to drop your children at school? Is school more important than service? I don't think so. The worship of God is slightly more important. Slightly is an understatement. This is not to make you feel guilty. This is for us to pull up our bootstraps. That if God gave you another chance at collective worship, another chance to hear the gospel, there must be some repentance, some penitence individually in our lives. There must be some repentance collectively in life. I pray never to come here for nominal worship, O oh God. I pray never to listen to the sermons at arm's length. That this sermon is for my wife. This sermon is for my husband. If only my wife was here. This sermon is for you. I pray never to arrive late. So sleep earlier on Saturday night. Wake up slightly earlier. Get on the bus and MRT slightly earlier. Arrive here on time. In fact, by next week, next week no services here, nah, week after that, give you one week to prepare. Two weeks. Won't you surprise all the pastors here, right? If you come and say, wow, the whole hall is full up, 10 minutes to 9. What do you call that? A miracle. The miracle happened. They stood and they listened to the word of God from morning to noon. And they lapped it up. And they said, we will obey the Lord. Of course, we're going to see the full repercussions of that. We now have the word of God fulfilled in Jesus. There's all the more reason for us to gather to worship. And when we worship, we strengthen each other to go out and witness to the world. Amen? We're soon going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is the number one ritual for us. And the number one ritual for us is to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The musicians are going to come up and lead us in a song of preparation. As we sing the songs, may the song, the lyrics of the song, help us to reflect deeply and reflect on the joy, the honour, the privilege, the blessedness of being able to hear God's word and able to hear God's final word in the person and work of Jesus.